name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear, gracious Heavenly Father, we do again thank Thee. This morning, hour of grace for this grace and privilege to be gathered around Thy holy and eternal Word. And as we approach closer to that day when we remember that the Christ child has been born into this world, we ask that these matters could be so impressed upon our hearts that we would be able to rejoice and to take part in that in that joy and gladness which the hosts of heaven partook of on that announcement. That in our very hearts a Savior and a Redeemer is born to save us from our sins and to bring unto us life and hope and peace and joy and eternal blessedness through thy infinite grace and mercy bestowed upon us. May our hearts be partakers even this Christmas time of these blessed matters. And not only this time of the year, but we know that it is throughout all time. For this joy is not for a day, but it is for eternity for thy children. And so we ask that thou would prepare our hearts to rightly receive it, that we would not be left outside and be in the darkness as the vast majority of the world was even on that day and is yet today, void of the knowledge of the Savior and Redeemer who has come to save their souls who has given his life and shed his blood for us. May thy blessing rest upon us, even this day as we again partake of thy holy and eternal word, <clears throat> that it might enliven our hearts and souls and strengthen us in this precious living faith to continue yet a little while until faith is no longer necessary but we shall see and behold our Savior and Redeemer face to face. And seeing him, we shall also behold thy glorious face. And that will be heaven itself. So prepare our hearts, dear Father, and grant us grace and strength to journey these last few steps faithfully and obediently unto thy word and unto thy spirit. Bless those who cannot be with us. May thy grace and per mercy and peace reach into the very hearts and souls of all those who are the shut-ins and who are by themselves and who are with their own thoughts and with the assailing of the enemy of the soul. Strengthen and preserve their hearts. We ask thee to bless our congregation, bless the youth of our congregation, that they may remain steadfast in this precious living faith. The little children, the little infants, may thy caring and watchful hand be upon them. 
so that they may indeed grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. And the aged <clears throat> and those who are leaning upon this staff and who must rely in thy given strength even physically as well as spiritually, we ask that thy hand would be also upon them each and every weary traveler on the road to eternity, that we all might safely reach that eternal haven of rest. Hear us, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. That's song number 32 is next. Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Recently in our midst out west, we had a, a visiting brother 
from this church that uh, we gathered with Austin out there. And invariably, almost every time when he began to speak, he would say, in the name of the Father. But he took it a little further. He says, I left it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We gather in vain. And we speak in vain. And we hear in vain. And that would be the cry of my heart this morning. That it would be in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost that we gather. Amen. We, of course, would bring lots of greetings from the West Coast, where we have, uh, as I mentioned, gathered often recently. And as many of you probably know, that uh, is our daughter Anne, who has gone through this traumatic experience. And I know for many of you here who have gone through similar experiences, you know the thoughts of our hearts, where they go, hither and to and yon, how faith will well up into the heart and it seems like uh, we have no doubts that God will take care of our loved ones. And the next minute we plunge into despondency because we look at ourselves and, you know, why, why would God help us? We know a little bit what we are and who we are. And we travel on that for a little while and then again the Father comes and uplifts us. And so the greetings are from many, from young and old, and even from my oldest brother there in the congregation who is 96 years old and very much of a sound mind yet. So be greeted from them. But also, it is that special time of year when it seems like the hearts of most human beings Believers and unbelievers, atheists, agnostics, or whoever they be, seem to be warm during the Christmas time. And I am even thankful for that. And I know often it may seem like a merriment spirit. But I have noticed one thing, and I've had to consider it for my own heart then, during this Christmas season. For it seems as though we boldly gather around the manger and a nativity scene. And we look with wonder and awe at the little baby who is lying in the manger there. And we forget for what purpose he comes to. And with shame and disdain, with embarrassment, when it comes to going to the cross of Christ, we want to back away. Have you considered that for your own heart? Is it not this Christmas season that is why we gather for the purpose that he came? And that was to pay our sin debt. So if we look upon this matter, and if in our own hearts we can believe that we are greeted from the very God of heaven, from his Son and the Holy Spirit. What kind of a greeting do you think is in your heart today then if you hear that greeting from heaven? 
Could it be as the scripture says of the Father in Isaiah? It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirits of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. That is the God of heaven speaking to us. He says himself that he is the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, but he comes and dwells in the hearts of the humble and contrite. That's the greeting from God. The greeting from the Son we can find in Revelations. And the greeting is from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That is the greetings of the Savior. And the greetings of the Holy Spirit we can find recorded in Jesus' own words in John And it's called the Spirit of Truth. And when He has come, He will guide us into all truth. And He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. We have just been greeted to the Holy Word of God, to our weary hearts, Is there one here who could come with an excuse that they have not been invited to this Christmas festival to enjoy what God has given mankind? The greatest promise that ever came up on this earth when he said in the garden, already he promised before the sun went down, that there would be a rod of escape for wretched and weary sinners. Is there one here who says that that promise isn't for me? then you are not listening to the greetings that have come from heaven, but you are listening to the greetings that have come from the depths of hell, the master of all lies. The Father has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Son has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, because then his death would be in vain. And the Spirit is a Spirit of truth, and he wants to bring us unto Christ. As I was telling Wilfred, it would seem like this would be the time when it would be so easy to pick a text out of the Christmas Gospels, pieces of the Gospels of Luke. And I guess from my own heart, I just, when I started looking this morning, it just seemed like the whole matter of Christmas seemed to be closed. But I do know this, I would pray that for each one of our hearts this Christmas season, that rather than we as families gather around a Christmas tree, that we would gather around the tree of Golgotha. And there we will truly know what Christmas is about. It's much the same as when we come to Easter and Good Friday. I know very little of Easter, but I know when Good Friday comes to the heart, Easter has to follow. 
And so was that. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading in the morning, and this chapter has stood out. And I have gone back again and again to it. And I don't understand why I have, because I don't understand it. But there are some things, just little tidbits in this, that have come precious to my heart. And I don't really know how one can separate any of these matters from Christmas. It is found in Hosea, in the second chapter. And I suppose if we were to be given to rightly see this chapter, as many of the scriptures written, that we could see that that last verse in the sixth chapter of Romans is fulfilled again and again and again. This thing called sin and grace, law and gospel, we see again and again throughout God's word. But that last verse in Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. The first part of this chapter, which we will not read, for the chapter is long, speaks of the wages of sin. Do we know what the wages of sin are? It says death. Are we talking about just the sins that we know in the peripheral way, the outward sins that we know and experience in our hearts? Or is it talking about sin, the thing that separates God and man? When it says that the wages of sin is death, it is exactly what it means. For every sin that we have ever committed, for all the original sin that lieth within us, there has to be a wage paid for it. There has to be death. Somebody's death. Either our death or the death of the Son of God. Which one would you prefer? Today, to the repentant sinner, the door of grace is open. And he who gave the second greeting and whom we are washed to the blood of the Lamb, he holds the keys to hell. And by his open wide the doors of heaven with his arms from Golgotha's cross, And he cries yet today to each heart here, to the very youngest child, to the oldest elders, that come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We will start reading on the 14th verse to the end. That was the second chapter of Hosea. Said, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak, speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope 
and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt and it shall be at that day saith the Lord that thou shalt call me Ishai and shalt no more call me Baal for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth and they shall no more be remembered by their name and in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will take them to lie down safely and I will betroth thee unto me forever yea I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them, which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Amen. <clears throat> As we mentioned in the beginning, the first part of this chapter speaks more of the unfaithfulness of Israel. And the second part speaks more of the faithfulness of God. And so when we begin in that 14th verse where he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. all of us here have we considered this matter of the wilderness have we came to a place in our journey where we have driven in the wilderness and I don't feel here that he's talking about the wilderness of sin that lies out in the entire world and the whole earth is engulfed in this wilderness of darkness and sin but now he's talking about a different kind of wilderness. He's talking to a striving, awakened one who wants to come to know God. He's talking about that wilderness and that loneliness that only one who has come in to the straight gate knows of what this scripture is talking about. He who has come to the place of total hopelessness and helplessness his son's sin has come alive in his heart and he has no place to go. There is no refuge on this earth. He cannot feel the grace of God. He cannot know what the, even the forgiveness of sins means to his heart, although he may hear it again and again and again. And the Father has brought this heart to a place of wilderness. Is there any here who know what I'm speaking of? Is there any here who today 
sit in this audience and they feel that there is no hope for them. God has left them. The Son of God surely didn't die for them. My friends, there is a purging and a work that only God can do in the heart. And this is what he's talking about. This wilderness. And I know there are some here who know what I'm speaking of. And then when he brings us into this wilderness, if it is the work of God in the heart of man that has brought us into this wilderness, then it must be the work of God in the heart of man to bring him out of this wilderness. And this is where we begin to see the faithfulness of God. This is where we begin to see that the lies and all the fables that Satan has told us for years, all the accusations that he has brought against us of all the sins in our life, which now we have to agree with Satan, he's right. Were that decrepit, were that wretched, were that sinful, were that self-righteous, For that's hung up upon ourselves. But now in this wilderness, there is no hope. And now, it says that I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. So although we cannot see this in this time, I've gone into the wilderness that it is God working in the heart. Many who sit here, and I would just want to say that to our young, this is the most blessed thing about this living Christianity, that we have these elders still among us who have experienced these things, and oh, they would want to share their hearts with you. Do not be bashful or afraid to go speak with them. That is one of the purposes God has given them for us. And likewise unto especially our elder women. If I could only tell you in my heart, my journey, what some of the elder women have meant to me. Even when I go down to the basement and I see a, a bunch of elder women gathered around at a table and I hear the, the things they're speaking of. It is such well, shall I say how it is in my heart? It seems to be a stability. And I know you may say, well, that's a tangible thing. But God has given us some of these things. As much as he has given us the sacraments, he has given us also other things. And one of the things is the elders. And likewise, for we who are getting older and our elders, God has given us the youth, strength that we don't have anymore. And at the same time, when you go to talk to an elder, you don't know what you do to uplift them and to strengthen them. Even if you were to bring every care and sorrow and trouble you have, may it be that we could be a united flock of God wherever we live and that we could learn that these things are of God, that we would share one with another. And so now, God has done this work. He brought his heart into this wilderness. And his heart is in one turmoil. 
and I cannot, and neither can you, judge where this place is at for each heart, nor can we judge the depth of this trip into this wilderness. Some have been on the very brink of hell and have felt the actual flames of hell fire. Some have not. But the important thing is that we have come to that place of hopelessness and helplessness. Maybe for the first time in our life, we need a Savior. And not only a Savior, but a Redeemer. And so he says now, and speak comfortably unto her. That in itself, if the Father says that he will begin to speak comfortably unto us, we can be assured that he will do it. But immediately we have a snag because our natural man, the man, the part of us that hates God, and there is a part of us that hates God, whether we want to admit it or not, every one of us have it. It wants to despise the things of God. It wants to tell us that, oh, God is way too slow. He hasn't been, but you know, God wants to do these things in his time. And my own journey, and I know it's been traditional for many years that when one comes into a new congregation, they would speak of their own journey, but today I just feel like I have a hard time doing that except for maybe this one instance. <clears throat> I recall one morning when I got up. It was at that time. There was no hope. There was no help from above. There seemed to be plenty of help from below. Did I want to read God's Word? There was no use in reading God's Word. It wasn't for me. I didn't understand it. And I opened the Bible. And it opened to Philippians, first chapter, the sixth verse, and I read it. And that verse is indelibly etched in my heart and I pray for the rest of the days of my life. Being confident of this very thing, he who hath begun a good work in the heart will finish unto the day of Jesus Christ. And in the darkest, one of the darkest days of my life, there was a little ray of hope. But my confidence wasn't in me. It was in my Savior that he had done a work for me and that's what we would want this Christmas that everyone would know that when he came into this manger when Simeon held him in his hand and said my eyes have now beheld salvation that Simeon saw it with the eyes of faith from one end to the other we know that when God begins to come to speak comfortably to the heart he speaks to us of our Redeemer and our Savior there is no other light in this dark world that can pierce this darkness. And this darkness that is in here, it says in the scripture in Jeremiah, and a darkness covered the earth, and gross darkness the people. The gross darkness is here. But when that light begins to come, when the comfortable speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit begins to come into that heart that's in the wilderness, we begin to see then that light. And so he says, And I will give her <clears throat> her vineyard from thence, and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, 
and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt the valley of Achor if you look up in Jeremiah you'll see it was a a valley that was named after a man Achor who had sinned greatly and he was stoned his wife, his children, his family, his cattle and everything he had was burned in a heap and the monument was set there but now we would look at that and say well that's a place of terribleness but why is it saying here that it's a door of hope and he will give this to the heart that's in the wilderness If we were to see that monument that lies there, when the Father does this work in the man's heart, we will see under that monument, we will see our righteousness, our piety, all these things that we have built upon, all of our sins, everything is lying under there, burned away by the bright light of Golgotha and the monument is set down there at the cross of Christ and now we have a door of hope that place that was nothing but our cause of death for what we are now when God begins to do the work in the heart and comes and speaks comfortably to that heart in the wilderness now it turns into a door of hope because it has been burned away and covered by the blood of the Lamb. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And we know of the bondage of Egypt. Four hundred years were they in bondage. Four hundred years did the taskmasters beat, whip, scourge. Four hundred years were they the children were trying to have been murdered so that the population wouldn't grow and then they came out of that bondage and although maybe for our hearts on the calendar it hasn't been 400 years but for some of us it's been a long long time in coming to that straight gate coming to that wilderness and it shall be at that day saith the Lord that thou shalt call me Ishai, and shalt no more call me Baalai. Baalai means my Lord. He says, you no longer call me that. But now you shall call me Ishai, which means my husband. Do we see the close relationship that the Savior, the very God of heaven, who inherits eternity, who is high and lofty, comes down and he says, now you no longer call me my Lord, but you want to call me my husband. That's the kind of relationship he wants with his children. And that's the kind of a relationship that is offered yet today. <clears throat> For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And true it is, when God begins to work in the heart the gods that we had the Balaams that we had in our life 
they begin to lose them, and the value of them becomes very small. Yes, we still struggle with those things in our life. But it is such, you know, that when God does this work, these things are no longer gods in our life. And we would hope and pray yet today that in our times that we live in, at this turn of the millennium, we are in a time now of history like has never been before. Technological advances are so immense, are so great. We have perhaps the greatest reason if there was ever praying people on this earth, we should be praying people that he would preserve us through these times. And I don't think that we need to take all of our effort and spend it in looking at all these things that the devil has brought to us. Not that we shouldn't do that. But I feel like Lestadius has said, who God has allowed to be very instrumental in my time of awakening. He says, you know, we live in a strange time. <clears throat> this is 130 years ago. <clears throat> he said, we know more about the power of Satan than we do the power of God. And we must always remember that the power of God is stronger than the power of Satan. And we deal with him. Our business is with God. We cannot deal with the devil. He is too powerful for us. So we would want that we would deal with God and do business with God. And it is important, therefore, it would behoove us to know more of him. And I would encourage our young and our old alike, read God's word. Oh, let the word become sweet to your heart. As much as you must eat every day, ask the Father he would give you that kind of a heart where you'd want to partake of the word. And he can make it living. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He says he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of these things in here. <clears throat> and in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. <clears throat> and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. <clears throat> we notice that it says that the covenant is for them. This is not a covenant between what he's speaking of here between God and man. But God is making a covenant between the animals of the earth that they would be for us. But then he does say, <clears throat> I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down <clears throat> safely. In Isaiah, we will have to let the word of God explain that portion as we would wish that all of it would be. But in the second chapter of Isaiah, it says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let me go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. And this, of course, speaks of the season that we're in, the Christmas season. And it was he who Isaiah was speaking of, who we come to worship and give thanks that he was born into this world. <clears throat> and then he says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Is that at all comforting to your heart? Do these words speak comfortably to you? Or are they just words? I will betroth you. He says that you no longer call me Balaam, but you will Balai, but you will call me Ishai, my husband. And now he says that I will betroth thee unto me forever. And when God's word says forever. It doesn't mean today and tomorrow only, but it means forever. In righteousness, in judgment, in loving kindness, and in mercies, and faithfulness. You know, last year we were at Centerville Church, which is in the desert valley of eastern Washington. And they had a confirmation class there. And I think there's many here who remember their confirmation day. And maybe some of you just this last summer. But you know, all these things God gives us also for we who have gone through these times that we would reflect upon them. And as I sat there listening to it, I thought, 35 years ago, I was in confirmation class. 35 years of unfaithfulness on my part and 35 years of faithfulness on God's part. And that is our Father. That is the heart of our Father. He is faithful. And we are unfaithful. And did you know you do today? And the bitterness that's in your heart that he wants you to repent of have been paid and he knew that you were going to do those things and he knew you were going to spit upon him and scourge him with the whip this is the relationship that he's talking about here all that the father would awaken our hearts in these last days and give us repentant hearts that we would come and bow before him and say, Dear Father, Thou who is all faithfulness and righteousness, I am of all faith, unfaithfulness and unrighteousness. Will you take this heart of corruption of mine and wrap it in that shroud of righteousness that was wrought on Golgotha's cross? 
That is what he wants to do. Do we see the import today of Christmas Day? That he had to come into this earth only to die for us. No other reason. He didn't have to come from heaven and make a statement on earth. For had he come to do that, he would have walked as a nobleman. He would have walked in the greatest of grandeur, but no, he did the opposite. And now as he hangs up on the cross and he looks up on this little flock, yes, it was 2,000 years ago. No, I'm not talking about the historical events. They took place. But far past that, is the piercing of the heart as Mary had to experience that he wants to do to every one of his children. And may it be this Christmas season that we also could experience the warm winds of Golgotha that would blow down upon us in this cool weather that we have outside. But the much colder hearts, unless there's other hearts that are not as cold as mine. I ask the Father in heaven that he would not only come down, but he would touch every one of our hearts. So we could be assured of this thing of salvation. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And it is such that the corn, the earth shall hear the corn. That corn is of as Jesus says, that's dead, it is put into the ground and sprouts again. But you see the corn was dead. And when God begins this work and continues this work of this one who is in the wilderness and this corn begins to come alive, the earth, which is this vessel right here, cannot contain itself, but it must give praise and hallelujahs unto the God of heaven. And when this earth says that, it says that the heavens will hear, and not only the heavens, but God in heaven will hear, for his word will not return back void. And it is that we would pray that the Father would yet work in this earth and Bethel as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, in earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> and I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy unto her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them, which were not my people. Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Are there any hearts here today who cannot say that Thou art my God? All would be good if we could examine our hearts But an interesting thing that I just found on the Spadius just a month ago. He said, rather than we examine our own hearts before the Word of God, 
Let us take a trusted brother and have him examine our hearts before the Word of God. And I don't know how many of you know or have read the heart of Lestadius, but he had a special gift to know the heart of men. Now look at that nice as I. I can see why he would say that. For our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. And so may it be as we journey on this journey that we would talk to one another. We would again make lives. No, we don't make lives. The Father would make live again in our hearts these things and that living Christianity could burn bright among us again. He desires to do that in our hearts. And in this time when things seem to be so prosperous, never before have the congregations had the things that they have. It's if we want it, we go buy it. If we need it, we get it. We live in a very dangerous time. And if you don't fear for your heart, then pray to the Father that he would still yet save my heart. Because I fear the scripture is full of testimony of many kings who came up to the last day and fell. For they looked away from Jesus and looked at their own things or other men's things. And in closing, there is one thing I would like to share, particularly with our youth. And I guess I remember well in my, my younger years especially, and uh, perhaps even just not that many years ago, when I would be at the services and I would hear preachers speak of things and perhaps even if we spoke up today of this wilderness. And I would hear him mention words like justification and sanctification and rebirth and new birth and and I'd shake my head and, and I remember one elder preacher coming in our midst and he said that if you ever understood the book of Romans, then he says, You'll understand Christianity. And I immediately went home and read the book of Romans and I said, I guess Christianity is not for me. I didn't understand a thing. And of course, then the devil begins to see this stuff and says, well, you know, you might as well go out, you're young, you might as well go out and enjoy these things of life. And maybe when you get a little older, you can come back and then these things will be, you'll understand them more. Oh, what a deceit of the devil. Oh, what a terrible lie. If there would be some way I could relive my youth, I would. But that's gone. God has forgiven it. And oh, I thank God. Well, let me tell you, scars are there. And they will be there until I die. And that's why for our youth, oh, listen to what happened to our old friend Samuel. <clears throat> and it said that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto, ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I call not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called again yet Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for thou callest me. And he answered, I call not, my son. 
fly down again. Now listen to what the scripture testifies of Samuel. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Do you hear what he said? This great man Samuel, all he was doing is being obedient. Since he did not know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And for our youth too, if these things are confusing and they bring times and things of doubt in your mind, just obey the Lord. And one way we can obey him is to strive to stay out of, stay out of sin and to come to the gathering of God's children. May it be that these words would be in the name of the Son, Jesus' name, Amen.